Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, September 11th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, gold has kind of been in the doldrums this week. It's been range-bound between just a little above $1,900 an ounce and $1,950. We did get as high as $1,963 briefly on Thursday. And the low for the week was in the 1913 range. That was on Tuesday. The yellow metal is currently trading at 1944 an ounce as I'm recording this podcast. It does seem like we built pretty solid support above 1900 and above gold's old record price that was set back in 2011. But really, there hasn't been a lot to drive metals one way or another. We've had dollar weakness, and that's generally given gold its upward impetus. But we had a rebound in equities late this week, and that has dampened safe haven buying. Silver has traded in the $26 an ounce range, with a few pushes above $27. But there seems to be pretty strong resistance at that level. As I'm recording, silver is at $26.76 an ounce. So a little dollar rally had gold and silver both trending down early this morning. But as of now, we're still on track for a small weekly gain for gold. But really, that's going to depend on how the day plays out. We could easily end up with a small loss on the week. Now, speaking of stocks and equities, there seems to be, uh, or there has been, a lot of volatility in the stock market this week. Early on, we had a big sell-off, particularly in tech stocks, and that pushed the NASDAQ into correction territory. It was a pretty massive swing. Wednesday last week, that would have been September 2nd, the NASDAQ made an all-time high and broke 12000 for the first time. On Friday, it dropped as low as 10875 although it did rally a bit into the close. Now, of course, Monday was a holiday, but the sell-off took up right where it left off on Tuesday. It fell another 4%, and the NASDAQ entered correction territory. That means it dropped 10% off its high. So we went from record high to correction territory in just three trading days. That prompted Peter Schiff to speculate that the bubble may have popped. Now, stocks rallied on Wednesday, but then yesterday the NASDAQ was down again. It was down just a tick under 2%. So some guy on Twitter, you know, there's always some guy on Twitter, he scolded me for tweeting that the bubble may have popped. He said, quote, every decline is not a bubble bursting. Your story is running out of steam. And my response to him was, so is your bubble. Because make no mistake, this is a giant Fed-induced bubble. Peter called it the biggest stock market bubble ever. There is no economic rationale for equity prices to be as high as they are. So it's all about Federal Reserve stimulus. And the thing about stimulus is you always need more of the drug, right? Now, if my Twitter friend had bothered to click and look at the article I had linked, he would know that Peter actually conceded the air may not be coming out of the bubble. It may not have burst yet. Here's actually what Peter said, quote, again, this is the biggest bubble ever, and so it's not going to die easy. And so it's certainly possible that the bulls can get this under control with the help of the Fed. 
In fact, even as the stock market was tanking, Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago President Charles Evans called for more government fiscal stimulus and said more quantitative easing is in the pipeline. Now, do you think it was a coincidence that he said that as the stock market was tanking? Not likely. Look, these guys know. They know the whole economy is running on their printed money. So, I think Evans was just trying to jawbone the market up with this promise of a bigger fix. But the fact is, this is a bubble. Bubbles pop. It may or may not have popped this week. I mean, there wasn't even really a pin, right? Usually some event bursts these bubbles. So maybe this isn't it. But these equity prices aren't going to stay in the stratosphere forever. I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about the housing market because I think it gives us a pretty good microcosm of the broader economy. It gives a clear picture of how Federal Reserve and government mechanizations distort things in the economy. Now, just to put it in simple terms, there is trouble brewing in the subprime mortgage market. You know, where have we heard that story before, right? But at the same time, we're also in the midst of a big housing boom. I mean, the market is basically spit, uh, split into two. So let's look at some numbers. Last month, I reported that the mortgage delinquencies charted their biggest quarterly rise ever in the second quarter. If you dig more deeply into these numbers, we see real cracks. The real cracks are in the subprime mortgage market. Get this. Of the 8 million active mortgages the FHA insures, 17% were delinquent in July. That ranks as the highest level of FHA delinquencies ever in history. It translates to about 1.4 million delinquent FHA loans. It's not just FHA loans going delinquent in the subprime market. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the VA, Ginny Mae, they are also all reporting a big surge in delinquencies. So, perspective, the overall delinquency rate for all mortgages, uh, this is on four-unit residential properties, it spiked by nearly 4% in Q2 and reached 8.22%. That was as of June 30th. This is data from the Mortgage Bankers Association National Delinquency Survey. The jump in delinquency rate was the biggest quarterly rise in the history of the survey. So even beating out things that we saw back in 08. Let me back up just a second and give you a little bit of the lay of the land so you can understand the significance of what we're seeing in the FHA market. The FHA is actually, it's a government agency, it's part of housing and urban development, and according to the FHA website, it has been helping people become homeowners since 1934 with low down payments, low closing costs, and easy credit qualifying. Now, it's important to understand the FHA itself does not make loans. It's not a bank. It actually insures mortgages that are issued by FHA-approved lenders. So basically, it's a government entity that is insuring and backing up these loans. FHA-backed loans require lower down payments and lower credit scores than conventional loans. So in effect, the federal government assumes the risk of risky loans to low and moderate income borrowers. The FHA basically serves as an important back stop in the subprime mortgage market. 
A FICO credit score below 620 is considered subprime. The FHA actually makes loans to people with scores well below that number. A borrower with a FICO score of at least 580 can qualify for a loan with just 3.5% down. If you have a 10% down payment, a borrower can actually qualify with a credit score as low as 500. An FHA delinquency rate of 17% is a significant warning sign in the subprime market. And in a lot of metro areas, the delinquency rate actually exceeds 20%. So Nassau County, Suffolk County, New York, and New York, New Jersey, City, White Plains, New York, New Jersey, both have rates over 27%. Now, you would think a record high FHA delinquency rate would have people worried, right? You would think that given our experience in 2008, big fissures in the subprime mortgage market would raise red flags, right? But you're not really hearing about this on CNBC or Fox Business. In fact, if anything, you're hearing about how good the housing market is right now. We're in a housing boom. Here's the thing. The high subprime delinquency rate has not raised much concern because unlike during the 08 crisis, home prices are rising. Remember back in 07, 08, people couldn't pay their mortgages and when they tried to sell, they couldn't get enough money out of the property to pay off the mortgage either. Housing prices were tanking. But as it stands now, if worse comes to worse, people who are struggling to pay can sell and they'll likely make enough money to get out of the mortgage clean. So the banks really aren't concerned right now because housing prices are are rising. Now, once again, we can say a big thank you to the Federal Reserve here. Thanks to its loose monetary policy, mortgage rates are at an all-time low, and that has pumped up a new housing bubble, even as many homeowners struggle to pay their mortgage. So in this weird way, a weak economy is actually driving a strong housing market, or I guess I should say the Fed's response to the weak economy is driving a strong housing market. It's pumping up a bubble just like it is in stocks and a lot of other things. But that does not mean there isn't trouble on the horizon. As with all things created by interventionist policies, it's really a house of cards, and of course it doesn't take a whole lot to tumble a house of cards. This little bit of analysis from Wolf Street sums up what's going on pretty well. Quote, When millions of homeowners cannot make the mortgage payments and have to put these millions of homes on the market, forced sellers. They trigger a sudden surge of supply of homes for sale and the entire supply and demand equation and thereby the pricing environment are going to change. End quote. American Enterprise Institute's housing center explained it this way, quote, it would be expected that these delinquency percentages will increase over time. At some point, a significant percentage of the then-delinquent loans would be expected to be placed on the market by owners under distressed conditions or become foreclosures and then enter the market. It is at that point we would expect buyer markets to develop in zip codes with heavy exposure to FHA and other high-risk lending combined with high levels of delinquency. End quote. So in other words, a glut of houses on the market would start to push prices down, and that could create the kind of do- downward spiral we saw in 2000 and 2008. Maybe not to the same degree, but it should at least make us take pause. So basically what we've got going here is a housing market that is split in two. You've got a Fed-driven boom on one side and a bust forming on the other. 
Here's the thing. Even if we don't eventually experience a major financial shock due to people's inability to pay their mortgages, the high delinquency rates drive another stake through hopes of a quick economic recovery. I don't see these people suddenly being able to pay their mortgages. I think we're going to see even more unemployment down the road, not less. Now, no, don't get me wrong. I think you'll see improvement in the labor market unless we get another big spike in coronavirus. But the long-term consequences of the economic shutdowns are going to catch up with this eventually. I mean, we had, what, 884,000 people filed for unemployment last week? People are still losing their jobs even as others go back to work. Continuing unemployment claims totaled 13.385 million last week. That was an increase of 93,000 from the previous week. You know, that doesn't scream booming economy to me. I've talked about this before. The fact that a lot of businesses are are holding on by a thread, they're eventually going to let go. Cash flow issues are going to catch up with them. Loans are going to run out. Piles of debt will catch up. You don't just shut down the economy and then flip a switch and turn it right back on. And don't forget a point I've been hammering on for months. The economy wasn't good before the pandemic. It was a big, fat, ugly bubble that was already on the brink of collapse. I talked about this a couple episodes back. The Fed and the government have propped it up with a massive injection of funny money, but that's exactly what caused the problems in the first place. They've actually managed to keep blowing air into the bubbles, but it's not going to go on forever. Like I told the guy on Twitter, the bubble blowers are running out of steam. The question isn't if it will deflate, it's when. And so that brings us to the question that I ask pretty much every week. Are you ready? Is your portfolio positioned to weather the storm? Is your wealth protected? If you don't know, talk to a Ship Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. They can help you make good decisions, giving your personal position, your goals, what you want to do, what you have. Talk to those folks. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can just shoot them an email to info at shipgold.com. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the stories that I've talked about today and more. And you can keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Cold Wrap podcast at iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. And we're, of course, on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. There's links for all of that stuff over on the show notes page. I do appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I'll talk to you next time.